Welcome to PreachingChrist.org, the preaching ministry of Father Patrick Malone, Vicar of Holy Cross Anglican Church in Milwaukee. If you have any questions about the Bible or the Christian life, contact us at Patrick at PreachingChrist.org. We have been making our way through the epistle to the Ephesians. And our sermon text is in your insert this week. Ephesians 4, verses 1 1 through 6. As we have seen over the last several weeks, the grand scheme of God is to save a people for himself. And he focused his energy on the nation of Israel, the the physical seed of Abraham and Sarah. And we see through the Old Testament that God made promises to Abraham, not just that his seed would be blessed, but that all the nations of the world would be blessed because of Abraham. And this was a cryptic promise for several hundred years as God focused his redemptive energy on the nation of Israel. But at the coming of Jesus, God's redemptive plan, his plan of salvation, uh, continued to focus on Israel, but then spread around the world to all nations, tribes, and tongues. And so the Apostle Paul has been dealing with that idea that God's salvation through his Son, by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, is not for the Jew only, but also for the Gentile. And from what I've seen, most of us here are not from a Jewish background. We're from a Gentile background. I'm Irish. Uh, British, some German, Scots, and uh, you know, I, I did my ancestry DNA a couple years ago. And because the Vikings came over to Ireland and Scotland, I have some Viking blood, which I'm very proud of, by the way. <laughs> so none of these people were under the direct promise of God during the Old Testament. But during the New Covenant, the covenant that we now are part of, salvation is available to all people. But that idea of salvation for all people became very complicated as Gentiles entered into the church. How do we handle the Gentiles? Must they be circumcised and become Jewish? Then they can become Christian? And the Apostle Paul, through the direction of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, says no. That old structure is now behind us, and there is a new structure in place called the New Covenant. And the signs and seals and sacraments of the Old Covenant have been put away, circumcision is now merely a medical practice. It's not a sacramental sign of one of God's covenants. 
Passover, which we could say was a sacramental event where Jewish people would gather once a year and reenact the exodus out of Egypt. Wonderful event, but now that is in the past. And Jesus, in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, verses 19 and 20, uh, compels his disciples and gives them a great commission that they are to go into all nations making disciples. And you make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to observe everything that Christ has taught his disciples. And so the epistles of Paul are basically the teachings that he received from Jesus Christ. Teaching us about Christ, teaching us who he did, teaching us what Jesus Christ accomplished in his perfect, obedient life, in his passion, in his death, in his resurrection, and in his glorious ascension. And so now we come, after we've seen in chapter 3, that God is bringing all nations into one, we see this phrase in verse verse 6. There's one God and Father of all. So God is not the God of Israel alone, but God is the God of all. He's the God of the Jew and the Greek, the Turk, the Russian, the Italian, the African, the, the Briton, the Irish, He's the God of all. And he's over all. We do not have national deities. There's one God. There's one Father. And he is sovereign over all things. And all things exist and have life because he is through all things and in all things. And so what the Apostle Paul is teaching us here in verses 4, 5, and 6 is fundamental to what the early church understood by what it means to be a Christian. Now, this phrase we see in verse 5, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, Most biblical scholars see this as an early creed that was recited during uh, the early church's worship services. So they would recite this. There's one Lord. There's one faith. There's one baptism. There's one God and Father of all. And so what does this actually mean? if this was a creedal statement for the early church. When verse 4, we see that the Apostle Paul says, there is one body and one spirit. Just as we were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Now, if you read the other epistles, especially 1 and 2 Corinthians, we see that there were other men who claimed to be apostles traveling behind Paul, preaching other doctrines. And a prime example of this is what was taking place in Galatia. 
Paul would preach the grace and salvation of Jesus Christ that we acquire through faith in the person and work of Jesus. And then he would move on to another city. And right behind him were these guys who called themselves uh, hyper-apostles or super-apostles. And they would say, yeah, we understand what Paul's saying, but he doesn't have it quite right. Not only do you have to have faith, but you also have to keep the Old Testament law. And what Paul is saying here is that if there is one spirit, there is only one body. And I think we all need to hear this in our day and age. There isn't the Roman Catholic Church and the Anglican Church and the Orthodox Church and the Independent Church and the Methodist Church and the Lutheran Church. Those all exist because of sin and rebellion and pride and hubris. There is only one church. And it is the job of the church to continue to strive till we all agree on the truth of Scripture. And that truth is not negotiable. There is only one truth. There's not my truth and your truth. This is a very common idea today, that you need to speak your truth. And my truth might be slightly different. But when we think of spiritual things, there is only one truth. And I'm sure that there are things that the Anglican Church believes and practices that are probably wrong. And when we find this out, we are to repent and throw it away. And the same should go for the Roman Catholic Church, the Lutheran Church, the Baptist Church, the Independent Church. That when we are confronted with our error, we are to repent and dismiss it and throw it away. Why? Because since there is one spirit, there is one body, verse 4 says. There's one body and one spirit. The Holy Spirit only created one church. The Holy Spirit did not create the Roman Catholic Church and the Lutheran Church and the Presbyterian Church and the Anglican Church. Because in Paul's logic, if all of these are legitimate churches then there are multiple spirits of God. And that is contrary to Scripture. We should be grieved that we are not worshiping with our brothers and sisters across the street or over on Barker Road or the Presbyterians on Brookfield Road. That should grieve us. But many ecumenical movements are ecumenical by the minimum standard that we can agree on. Because Paul goes on to say in verse 4, there is one Lord, there is one faith, and there is one baptism. And notice what he says at the beginning of verse 4. There is... This is a a statement of objective truth. He doesn't say we should strive for, we should hope for, that um, one day there will be. Right now, he says, even though there's divisions in the church already, there is only one body. 
There is only one hope. There is only one Lord. There is only one faith. And there is only one baptism. There is not a Baptist baptism and an Anglican baptism. There's one baptism. And through arrogance and through pride and self-assertion and uh, wanting to have your own territory, groups of Christians have divided over the years because they're not willing to surrender to the authority of God through his holy word. One Lord. Now, one of the things that Paul does, in the Old Testament, God is acknowledged as Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God. And those two words are put together to signify the singularity of God. There is one God. And this phrase is reminiscent of what we call the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, the Lord is one. And this is said by Jews all over the world several times a day as they pray. It's basically their Apostles' Creed. Now what Paul does is he separates that Old Testament title of the Lord God, and he separates those and designates the word God as the Father and the word Lord as Jesus Christ. And so he, when he talks about the one Lord, he's talking about the unity of God in the Old Testament, but now God has revealed himself in the New Covenant in three persons. There aren't multiple gods, there's one God. There aren't multiple lords, there's one Lord. And this one Lord is sovereign, and all Christians should and must surrender themselves to Jesus Christ as their Lord. And the duty of the apostles was to spread out around the world, baptizing and teaching people what this one Lord God taught them. And that one Lord God has a clear teaching throughout Scripture. That he did the works necessary for our salvation. We don't have to do those works. He did them for us. And we acquire salvation by grace through faith. And that he demands holiness and obedience out of his followers. Paul says numerous times, sexual immorality should not be named among you. Yet it is. It's pervasive throughout the church. The church is not the pure bride of Christ as we are called to be. Why? Because my Lord is different from your Lord. And my Lord would never tell me that I should not follow my feelings. That if I have a desire, it must have been created by God, and so I should fulfill that desire. If I have a feeling, then that feeling defines me. 
And what the Apostle Paul says is no. What defines you is the sovereign lordship, the redemptive love of Jesus Christ. And this is why he says there is one faith. He's using this as a noun, that there is one corpus, one group of teachings that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to his apostles. And we see in Acts 2.42 that the apostles, that the early church was diligent and fervent to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship, and to the prayers. There isn't Roman Catholic teaching. There isn't Anglican teaching. There isn't Baptist teaching. There isn't independent church teaching. There isn't Methodist teaching. There isn't Presbyterian teaching. There's one faith. And every single Christian should dedicate their lives to finding out what that one faith is. Because your life depends on it. Our church and the Roman Catholic Church cannot both be correct. It's an impossibility. One baptism. The Apostle Paul says there's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism. Baptism is the entryway into the church. Notice the Great Commission. The Great Commission does not say, and if you have your Bible, turn, turn to it with me, so we can all see the words and read the words together. Matthew 28, 19, 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Helping them to make a public profession of their faith and never attend church the rest of their lives. It doesn't say that. People enter the church through baptism. And baptism is given to those who have promised and who have declared their faith in Jesus Christ. And they're baptized in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. No one's baptized in the name of the Pope. I was not baptized in the name of Thomas Cramner. You're not baptized into the name of John Calvin or whoever the leader of your church is. We are all baptized into the name of the Father and into the name of the Son and into the name of the Holy Spirit. There is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Why is baptism the entry into the church? Because in our baptism, Paul tells us in Romans 6, we are united to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. A person becomes a Christian when they are united to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we attain that by grace through faith. Baptism and faith are so closely tied together in Scripture, it would be impossible for Paul to separate them. 
Because the Jews have a physical, material religion. They didn't just remember the Passover. They reenacted the Passover every year. They stood. And a child would say, Father, why is this day different than all the rest? And the father then would uh, recite the events and read the Holy Scripture of that event. And they would do it standing, and the father would many times have a shepherd's crook in his hand, and they would have unleavened bread, the bread of haste, and they would uh, have a lamb in front of them. It wasn't just a Gnostic spirituality. It's a material religion. That's one of the reasons I love our faith. We stand, we bow, we eat, we hear, we drink, we get wet, we kneel, we verbalize, we sing. It's not merely a spiritual, invisible event. It's a material, bodily event. Baptism gets people wet. You have to take a towel and dry yourself off. Because, as our prayers will say in a few moments, we pray that our body and soul will be made clean. And then Paul ends this by declaring the unity of God. The Christian faith is a development an expansion, uh, a continuation of the Old Testament faith. We don't have three gods now. The Holy Spirit is not a separate God. Jesus Christ is not a separate God. And the Father is not a separate God. There is one God and Father of us all. Confusing? Mind-boggling? Yes. But it should be that way. Who can understand and comprehend God? There was one God, and he is in three uh, beings, minds, wills, three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How do we find out what this faith is? Well, the church and the officers of the church are to be faithful in teaching people what Jesus commanded us to do. The membership of the church should then be obedient and making themselves available to be taught. I've been pretty much faithfully, and I had a couple of months way back when, but since 1976... And I learn things about Jesus all the time. I've gone to seminary. I continued to take classes and certificates and training. Because the truths of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done and who he is are beyond our thinking. And it takes faithful study for the Holy Spirit to teach us. And so let us not be like those who merely verbalize their faith. 
Help us, O Lord, to be like those who are active, learning, following, loving our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let us pray.